up to 70% off. That's right, at Court Furniture Clearance Center. Get up to 70% off new retail prices and choose from a wide variety of previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. All items are court certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Make the smart choice and visit one of our five locations in the DMV or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons as an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Yeah, I usually hope with, open this with some variation of Happy Something Day, but uh, I can't muster it up today, so uh, it's a day. Happy Groundhog Day, because that's what <laughs> it feels like every time we face Pitt. Yep, I, I literally said probably 20 times this week to various people, I think I would have rather faced literally any team in the ACC except for Pitt. I think I would have just said, let's just see what happens with UNC. Same. Or or Virginia. Like, I just, Pitt is the last team I wanted to face in what I'm pretty sure will have shaken out to be a must-win game. Uh, I guess we'll know Sunday if it really was. Uh, but, yeah, that was, it was exactly what we thought. Like, they jumped out, looked pretty good to start, and then Pitt figured it out, and then they took the lead, and then Syracuse, you know. They don't usually, in the last couple of years, they haven't been getting blown out by Pitt. They've just been losing in the most heartbreaking way possible, which involves multiple comebacks and actually keeping it close and looking competitive. Uh, just, you know, it, it really played out pretty perfectly considering all of our, our deepest fears about this game heading in. Yeah, and you know what? I think, like, for me, anyone th- telling themselves that Syracuse is going to win that one uh, was fooling themselves, if only because it, it's it's Pitt, and it doesn't matter where we play them, it doesn't matter when lately, uh, when Jamie Dixon's on the sidelines, uh, there's just something that he understands about beating this zone, um, especially recent iterations, which, at least the last two years, I feel like have, have been have faltered inside a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I just think, you know, you, you can debate all day what happened on that last play. Um, it was obvious that the original plan was broken. If they had had a timeout, they probably would have called it. Uh, but without one, um, you're kind of stuck with what you have, and it just seemed like there was no option B. Um for the team, and that's how you get Trevor Cooney taking a, a three um, in, the, in the waning seconds instead of driving the lane uh, when you could easily probably draw a foul um, going up. But moving on from that, and we don't have to move on completely, um, even though we want to, um, I, I just noticed that Georgia Tech managed to come back from 18 down to be Clemson, so... Clemson lost today, so that's nice, right? Just for the sake of Clemson feeling like shit for a day? Sure. <laughs> yeah. And Holy Cross won their conference tournament, despite losing, well, despite being the ninth seed out of ten in the Patriot League and being 14 and 19 overall. So Boston College can also take some solace slash misery in that. Roll, roll damn Crossaders. <laughs> Yeah, so back to Syracuse, because we can only take solace in minor victories for so long. Um, Dan, what was the most frustrating part about this game, other than the predictability of it? I know I was talking to my coworker, who's also a a Syracuse grad, and he and I said before the game exactly what would happen in the order you described it uh, a couple minutes ago, Um, and that was SU starts hot, Pitt closes the gap by the half, Pitt looks to put us away. Syracuse comes back and makes it a game. SU loses in excruciating fashion. 
Um, I'm going to say, like, aside from it following the strip to a T, like, it actually wasn't, uh, like, stylistically the classic Pitt game. Like, Pitt is usually, you know, they, they go to the free throw line with one of their forwards and they carve up the zone from the high-low post game and they do it really well. And that's, like, usually their, their method of uh, just absolutely shredding us. Today, they hit 40% of their threes, which, you know, they're a decent shooting team, but that's not really their game. Uh, they had a guy, and we should have probably known this would happen to some degree, but uh, Cam Johnson today, that's like an all-time uh, random guy going off. Like, it's not like, you know, guy off the bench who never stores drops 13. Like, dude that averages four points who stored double digits twice heading into the day leads all stores tied with Benajay for 24. Because of course. Uh, four. Yeah. Like, that's just that. Um, and just, uh, it, the whole thing was just so so frustrating even and we wasted you know Benaje had a, a pretty heroic effort uh, I thought I thought um, Daywan had maybe his best game of his career 11 and 11 um you know finished five or seven from the field like was able to actually convert most of the time played 33 minutes which is huge for him um just we had some things working and the comeback was really great like at two really two comebacks where we came really close and then Pitt had sent out the lead with like two minutes left and it looked like that was pretty much it and then the team came roaring back to tie it um and then obviously the really bad franklin howard turnover uh dave pitt the lead and just it, it seemed like su had you know we've seen this team in the last couple of years pull off wins like this where they they have the comebacks and, and benajay especially was leading the way and had a really awesome game like he's had all year and and deserves so much credit for what he pulled off this year um and just not being able to get over that hump uh is just so frustrating yeah, and you know what? And this is just to put perspective on it for people, myself included, really. Um, this was a lot like the Duke game uh, in a lot of ways. Um, it just it was a different outcome, and you could you could look at that Duke game in a lot of different ways. And, and people might have said things about officiating, and, and you can laugh at them, especially if their name's Mike Tuschewski. But there's there were a lot of similarities. There was a lot of back and forth, um, and and it just so happened that one of those games, the Duke one, ended on our side. This one didn't. Um, I'm not going to sit here and point fingers at any one player. I know a lot of fans are quick to, and I think that's something that we can address here. Um, maybe not right yet, but uh, Dan, you and I already started discussing it, um, and that is you know, the scapegoating of, of one Trevor Cooney. Yeah, and obviously there was some... This was a very strange game for Cooney because... Um, and I, I tweeted it during the game, like, the last time... When was the last time that Cooney uh, sat out for twelve, what eleven or twelve minutes straight in a competitive basketball game? Maybe two seasons ago. So clearly, uh, Beheim had either he liked what he saw from Howard running the offense, or he had frustrations. Um, I'm looking through. I think this might have been Cooney's only game under thirty minutes this year. Now he had Montana State. He played twenty eight. Well, I so saw this was, there was a stat that Dio sent out. I forgot who. Maybe somebody else. Um, where it was like this is the first game that Cooney played less than played twenty five minutes or less since the Fordham game like ninety six games ago. Yeah, so clearly there was some different mindset with with Bayheim here, and um, I think him sitting Cooney for all that time really played into a lot of people's frustrations with Cooney. Um, I think the scapegoating in the last and and you know Cooney didn't have a good game. He hasn't had uh, a good game in a while. Um, Louisville was really his last one. Uh, and, you know, he's he is the player he is. I, I don't know why everyone decided that, like, this whole he's the next GMAC narrative was not a come. Is it, I mean, 
you can't just brand every you know white shooting guard that comes through the program as the next Jerry or the next whomever. It's completely unfair. Um, but he's been a reliable defender. He's uh, been a, a totally good citizen. He's played like a number of very good games. It's not like Cooney's never had a good game for Syracuse. He's very streaky, and he shouldn't be like the number one or two player on a good team. But he has his role, and then it all came to a head with that last play where if you look at it, and I watched it a number of times, there was really nothing else for Cooney to do. He maybe didn't have to cross back over and to have taken another step or, you know, taken an extra second and a half to get closer to the hoop, but everyone always harps on Cooney only shooting whatever percentage from inside the arc. is uh, You know, it's about the same as what he shoots from three. Um, and, you know, Benajay was totally covered. Uh, Leiden and Roberson were like basically bunched up under the hoop with guys in the passing lanes. Malachi was about 30 feet away until the last second. He was also, he was in no position. So Cooney had the best shot based on that broken play. Um, and unfortunately he didn't hit it because it still wasn't like a completely wide open look. And sometimes people miss shots, but, um, it's just really unfortunate how it played out. And I, I was really turned off by a lot of the Syracuse fans online. And I know, it's easy to jump on Cooney. I know he hasn't been this perfect player throughout his career, but man, like that that play, like he did what he could do based on a very tough situation with no timeouts, with uh, Pitt totally trying to take away Benajay, who was obviously option one, and he still, you know, he got a somewhat decent look and a shot that he's hit a number of times. So it's it's frustrating to see people scapegoat a player like that, uh, especially one who's you know been in the program for five years and is really done nothing wrong except miss some shots and and you know and anything he's done wrong at Syracuse basketball has been on the court and I'll I'll take that most of the time but uh to see like comparisons to like Fab Mello as a as a Syracuse player people hate the most but and and even hating on people like that like it's just really frustrating to see the worst come out of people over uh something so menial yeah, I, I'd have to agree with you there. And I mean, I was, I definitely saw some of those comparisons. You know, I, I, I agreed with the sentiment of the fact that he was hated, not the fact that I was joining in on it. Um, and I think that was the case with some people too. Um, I know that I saw the Fab Mello comparisons more in the case that I didn't see some of them as bad as you did. I think more because I just decided to like basically mute everything afterward. <laughs> but I did see the one comparison, just like fans wrongfully kind of having those two lumped together seems weird um and a lot of it is exactly what you know sean was saying um in that article the other day he's saying the book on cooney's been written already there's there's just no there's just no saving him from it and and i think unfortunately uh there's this kind of sick karmic justice uh, that was dealt to him today um just kind of reinforced it is that you know if if syracuse doesn't make the ncaa tournament um, Cooney's SU career will basically be bookended by two big misses, um, and it will not be populated by all the uh, all the shots that he's hit uh, during his career. Which I mean, yes, that that rate has fallen off a ton, but it hasn't fallen off to the point where he just stopped doing things um, as, as a player. I still think he's been an effective player. I think I, I wouldn't call him a great defender, but I think he can be a smart defender and an opportunistic one at times. Um, and I think he's. I think that he has his flaws, and I don't think that he ever really lived up to the, you know, unfair probably um, characterizations of him that people were ready to heap on. But um, I, I don't think he's been the uh, 
the, the negative player and the lightning rod for just vitriol that, that people have made him out to be, sometimes myself included, to be honest, um, over the last couple of years. Yeah, and, and it's not like you can't be frustrated with him. And like, Cooney's a very frustrating basketball player. Everyone who's watched Syracuse kind of knows that because you, you see the games where he drops 27 or he you know destroys Notre Dame and, and goes crazy. So I, I totally understand being frustrated and venting that aligns fine, but like people tweeting directly at him and people – you know, saying they can't wait for him to be off the team. There are going to be points next year where we really probably wish we had Trevor Tooney for another year. So I just, personal attacks, and especially in college sports, just drive me totally insane when you consider, you know, all the work these kids put in, the fact that they're not paid when, you know, I think both of us agree that they should be in some form. Um, it, it's just, it's really gross. And I know it's not a Syracuse problem. It's a, it's a sports fan problem across the board. Um, but I don't like to see like the people that I uh, consider my my Syracuse brethren here um, kind of show their really nasty side. And unfortunately, it came out today, um, and I didn't really have the the ability to just block it out because uh, being on Twitter is part of my job, so that wasn't great. Uh, so yeah, I, I had to to mute a lot of people and and just get away from it because it was getting really gross. And it really again, it wasn't like I wish Trevor Cooney was better at basketball. It's like personal insults uh against trevor tony because he's not the basketball player you wish he was which is just insanity yeah and and again it's it's one of these things where it, it, it isn't a syracuse problem it's a it's just an intrinsic problem with the way fans conduct themselves and 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 i don't know i don't know if we want to blame twitter for this i don't know if we want to blame um you know, just just kind of uh, maybe the level of discourse has changed. Blame Donald Trump. I don't care. It's it, it's just it's become it's become a big part of the fan experience that that I could do without, and that is like the, the personal attacks and just just complete and utter disregard for um, for people and, and as as fellow human beings. <laughs> it's just it's it wears on me. I know it wears on you, and I'm sure it wears on a lot of other fans too. It's just it's not something that that needs to be part of it. And just because you have direct access to people and players now, um, doesn't necessarily mean that, that you have to use it, especially, um, in, in, in that regard. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate because so much good does come out of it. And it is cool to see uh, a lot of these players showing their personality, it, you know, not so much Tony. He's not all that active on there, more Benege and others. But, uh, when you have people just, you know, who who had their their afternoon ruined because of a 12 p.m. basketball game and decide to just you know crap all over some someone's livelihood? It's just really unfortunate. So hopefully, uh, I don't know. I can now. I'm I, I'm unfortunately like uh, seeing Cooney like averaging 25 points in the NIT and everyone's gonna be just giving him like bronze cheers for it. So so that'll be fun. Yeah, I can see that going poorly in my mind. Yeah, there's no way Cooney can win from here on out. So hopefully, uh, I don't know, hopefully when he comes back to school as a graduate, people don't give him like the Dante Green treatment, especially because even that's like a totally unfair thing, but that's like the last person that I remember really getting crapped on when he's returned and uh, from a large portion of the fan base. Yeah, I, you know what? I the Dante Green treatment is is definitely an interesting theory and just an interesting phenomenon in general. Um, I, I think 
he's become just just a weird kind. Like I understand why people have venom toward Fab Mello, and rightfully so. Um, and I think we're, we're we're far enough removed now from him being here, and and that and and his relevance in, in sports in general is is far enough removed from everybody that I think, um, you know, it's it's worth visiting. But yeah, I, I think with with Dante Green, th- there was just so much anger and vitriol towards a player that no, he probably shouldn't have left, but him leaving um, kind of opened a door for. Two, two to five very successful years uh, for Syracuse, and you know if he sticks around, maybe we don't get certain players come in the door. And and yes, recent you know recruiting strikeouts, maybe not, those those didn't happen either. But we don't know. Uh, and I don't necessarily think that Dante Green makes the uh, the six overtime team better. Um, I don't know if Dante Green makes the West Johnson team better, or if the West Johnson team exists with Dante Green. I mean, there, there's there's too many variables, and I, and I don't I don't even think it's worth. Um, I don't even think it's worth getting mad at him for. I mean, obviously it didn't work out. Obviously he has regrets, and, and you know what? Maybe we do too, just as fans, for for not not enjoying that the, the, that he was a quality player when he was with Syracuse, and that we just appreciate the fact that you know he he understands that he enjoys his time while he was there, but but he he made a decision uh, that was right for him at the time. Yeah, and it's like this like gross inverse with Tooney. Like Green left. After one year, he had kind of, you know, pretty big stats in terms of his scoring, but the team only made the NIT and never really lived up to the, you know, and, and they they didn't help themselves with the whole dynasty thing. Uh, but then Cooney, you have, who was here for five years, played, you know, people, if they try to deny that he played hard, they're just being ridiculous. He wasn't the best player by any means. He was, you know, I would say an average player overall with the ability to go crazy occasionally uh which i think is fair um but you know people wanted you know wanted him run off the team all three years that he was a big factor so uh i guess there's really no winning unless you are a perfect player for your entire career but you also stay exactly how long people want you and not not less or more no and and i think that 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 has become the mantra especially of college fans who who they know that the players that they they love and appreciate or hate and 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 abhor the most um, have an expiration date with them, um, and it, it has become a wild phenomenon. I, I I think about it. Syracuse has and, and we've discussed and, and I discussed with Sean. There's Syracuse fans and have a weird and, and I I don't disclude us from this. Have a weird detachment syndrome and 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 attachment issues and and if that makes any sense with players with with coaches i think once Bayheim hangs them up we're always going to be petrified of of someone leaving us and i think you saw it with schaefer um and and his firing and to be honest any coach any coach that 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 put up the results he did through three years especially in the order that they happened um is probably gone at any power five program but um you have a vocal portion of the fan base that says his work wasn't done. He he had results he didn't do. He wasn't allowed to do what he was supposed to do. And, and I don't buy that for a second. Uh, and not just because by the end he wasn't my guy, because at the beginning he was. Uh, I, I think that you know Syracuse fans just have this this weird old school mentality, um, and, and some of that's because of Beheim that um, you know people can't leave you. People can't. People are supposed to be there forever, and I just don't think that's realistic in life. I don't think that's realistic in careers. I don't think that's realistic in college athletics in particular. 
um, in, in today's day and age. Yeah, and we're about to enter into and about who knows when that actually is, but um, we are kind of quote, lucky enough unquote to uh, apparently be handing the torch to another person. I think Hop's going to do a good job. Um, and he's somebody who's not going to leave. He, yeah, and he's he, probably he, not going to leave because there aren't <laughs> that many better jobs. And I don't think, I mean, what what jobs Hop going to leave for unless he wants to go to the NBA? And that's assuming a lot of success. Um, but it, it is. I mean, we have talked about this on the football side. Uh, especially with like Marone leaving and whatnot, but there definitely is this sense of like more of an old school way of, of how college sports went uh, that I, I feel like it's just a lot of other programs have been uh, thrown into the fire before us. And, and Syracuse has just happened to have all this continuity and, and it's coaching across the board uh, that now we're kind of getting uh, taught the lessons that everyone else learned in like the nineties, early, early two thousands. Yeah, I mean, look at the other top programs. Not even making comparisons that we are any of these top programs. But, like, look at... Duke is yet to do this. And and people keep forgetting that. Duke is yet to do this. Um, but, but they've accomplished enough success that they probably won't have to at the same level SU is. Like, look at what UCLA has been for much of the last 20 years. You know, look at what Kentucky's sunk to at certain uh, points. You know, look at... What North Carolina? I mean, people forget that the Darty years, like the year that they went like eight and twenty at, at North Carolina, like that shouldn't happen for North Carolina, but it did. And, and and like when Arizona dropped off for a few years, like these programs drop off, and like they get replaced by people who could be there forever or, or, or could not. And I just think. Syracuse fans are going to get spoiled once again by somebody because, yeah, you know, you're right. There aren't a lot of jobs better than Syracuse in, in all of college basketball. And that's weird because in football, there are a lot that are better. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's it, it, it's going to be weird that SU fans get to basically inherit a Bayheim situation after Bayheim and potentially not for another 30 years deal with the type of change that every other fan base in college sports, um, you know, has dealt with. Right, and I think a lot of the, uh, I think the the how good the Syracuse job is, uh, a lot of it's going to be defined by what Hopkins does because Bayheim is just you can almost write off forty years if you really want to as just Bayheim was was X. Uh, so the Hopkins era, Hopkins era, whenever it does start, and obviously I think we have you know another two, two or three years of Bayheim. Real, realistically, it's whenever Bayheim wants to leave. I don't think anyone's going to force a timetable on him, but. Um, I think it, that that will really uh, help define what the Syracuse program is going forward. Because after that, you know, you can't. It's uh, it's it's really hard to expect us to keep on turning over coaches and and having uh, people from within the program every year. Although I know people have this like glowing uh, expectation that Jerry will take over the program in like thirty years. That's that's not how it works. And I, if it, I, I mean, if it happens, that'd be hilarious and wonderful but you know odds are after no. hopkins will probably be a non-syracuse person yeah or i mean and, and who can really predict the next 30 years i mean it's not as if the, the distance between hopkins and and jerry age-wise is not the same as the distance between hopkins and jim and and, and nobody should start fooling themselves into thinking that the only way jerry takes over this team is if hopkins leaves um, of his own accord well before he's done um, and, and yeah, I, I think that I want Hopkins to succeed. Um, and if I was, but if I wasn't a Syracuse fan, I, I'd be very interested 
to see what would happen if he didn't. Yeah, it's uh, it's almost it's kind of scary. I, I obviously think you know for a lot of reasons. I, I don't really count the nine games this year uh, too much for or against him. Um, and obviously, he has all of his recruiting uh, ability in front of him, which is a big part of it. And everyone also like the program isn't going to be blindsided by whenever Hopkins State's over because all the recruits that are coming in kind of know that that's the future and if you're going to be here for a certain amount of time that's you know what's going to take place so i think the uh transition will be pretty uh as seamless as it can possibly be moving on from a hall of famer um but it really is like if you look at it from an outside perspective it's uh pretty unprecedented um or close to it and uh Hopefully it works out because if not, it's going to things are going to get really weird with Syracuse basketball really quick. Well, I mean, I think they already did, to be honest, based on just the nine games. I mean, you saw you saw a, a fan base that very quickly became uh, largely despondent, uh, very negative. The the quote unquote specialness kind of wore off from the program, and 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 I hate talking about Penn State and Syracuse in the same breath because I think it. It creates an unfair narrative and, and a certain amount of lines drawn and finger pointing, um, but at the same time, that there there is a there's a cult of personality that in very different ways, mind you, but a cult of personality that existed around Penn State and, and Joe Paterno, and a cult of personality that has existed around Jim Beheim, and I feel like Penn State fans, unfortunately, rallied in, in a negative way um, around the team defining its personality without Paterno. Um, and I feel like Syracuse fans, because they're not Paterno truthers and, and creepy Penn State fans, instead kind of retreated, if that makes any sense, during those nine games when the basketball really wasn't looking like a great product. Yeah, I think I think, I think you're onto something there. It, it definitely was... Uh, it definitely didn't feel the same, just because... And I think there's also this like weird contingent of like super vehemently anti Bayheim Syracuse fans or Which I don't know how, I know how you exist at this point but what I know I... <laughs> now, I'm not saying you have to be like a, a you know I don't think you have to put fealty to Bayheim to be a Syracuse fan but I don't know how you root for a program where you hate the head coach of 40 years so much <laughs> it's just like it seems unfeasible and you should probably root for another program like any um, other program but that 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 portion of people is I feel like way louder than outside fan fans uh, probably realize they probably think that the you know loyalty to Bayheim is more along times uh, along the lines of the Paterno thing but uh it's really like it, it, there's a lot of people who will not be so upset when Bayheim leaves and I don't know uh if that's a good or bad thing but uh they are they're definitely a part of this fan base a strange sect yeah and, and, and I think you got to it a little bit that like we're never going to understand the motives of these people. And, and you know what? Yeah, you have every right to it, but I don't know if Syracuse is the program for you, if you're going to be so attached to or, or hateful of a coach that, that's been here this long. It, it might be time to, to look elsewhere because this, at least for, for the time being, is how this program is going to run itself um, with, with one guy who's going to be there for a very long time until he, he does something to show he doesn't deserve the job anymore. And he's in around the two three zone, <laughs> and only the two three zone. Unless you want to run man to man, then do that. Yeah, run man to man. More man to man. 
I mean, he might run the press for like a minute. Just, uh, just, just once. He'll count it out sixty seconds, and then, and then, <laughs> and then he'll, he'll immediately order it back. Uh, I think that's a good place for halftime, Dan. If uh, if you're all right with it. Uh, works for me. Cool. So, uh, what have you been drinking? Uh, I am still pulling up my list. Uh, drank something. Oh, uh, so I didn't have a ton, but uh, the couple things I did have, um, I had ball- I had two different ballast points uh, over the weekend. Uh, I had grapefruit stolpen just because it's there, and I don't remember the last time I saw grapefruit stolpen on a menu, and I didn't end up ordering at least one. Uh, so that was necessary. But I also had their ginger big guy IPA, um, which I really enjoyed. It's definitely different from the stolpen and the uh, the ginger flavor i thought was really well utilized and really well balanced with the ipa it more of like a finish um but a really nice departure from what they not, they normally do but i thought it uh was a nice addition uh to their you know their general stolpen line and everything so that was good i enjoyed that yeah honestly like ballast point you're not going to go wrong with anything they do in terms of their variations of beers they've just they, they've really 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 uh, put a great amount of time and investment i mean all these beers, too, that, that the rest of the country is just, like, starting to get a glimpse of um, because of their increased distribution with uh, Constellation and all that. These are things that have been making the rounds around San Diego for years and have been, you know, tossed around. They have an R&D kitchen in downtown San Diego over by Little Italy that, that just has these beers um, on tap along with some of their staples. Um, and so th- these are things that, you know, locals have raved about for years, and, and it's awesome because, you know, now we're, we're seeing that there's an ability to— um, you know, get those beers out in bottles and, and get people outside the San Diego area to try them. And it's it's a testament to how good they are that they're all so on point, uh, you know, each and every time. Yeah, I, I mean, I've only had a handful of their thing, their, their stuff, but even, like, uh, I had one of the porters a couple of weeks back, and, like, that's not my... I'm not a huge porter guy, but even that was, like, you know, very good. I haven't had a bad thing from Ballast Point. So, again, that's why I end up ordering a, a Drayford Stolpen... All the time, so never, never really does wrong. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, all right, from me, what do we got? Um, last week, I've been drinking. Had a uh, well, jury duty ended last Thursday, which was great for me. Uh, so to celebrate, popped open a uh, Phil Mishmish from um, the brewery. It's an apricot sour, very, very good stuff. Um, also had a Melange Number no. One from the brewery. Uh, that beer is very interesting. It's a it's a blend of the uh, Eau de Tarte um, and their uh, Black Tuesday. So it's a it's a weird kind of sour imperial, bourbon barrel aged imperial stout, um, a mixture between those two. Uh, that I would highly recommend to anyone who appreciates either style. You really do get that the full flavor of both in there. Um, had a uh, Prairie Bomb, which Prairie is always great, and uh, I mean sometimes their bottles are a little pricey, but Always, uh, always worth grabbing some if uh, that's around. Did a little, uh, little South Bay beer tour uh, over the weekend, so I had a bunch of different things from uh, the usual spots. Um, had spell check from Monkish. It was uh, kind of a hoppy pale ale from them. Uh, had some Cafe Della Vita. It was a uh, basically a uh, pistachio, vanilla, and coffee um, saison. It was a very, very interesting. Uh, mixture but one that really worked um they don't bottle that one but um really did enjoy that and then yeah it was just a lot of the usual stuff uh, elsewhere over at uh monkish and smog city 
um, Amarillo Gorilla, Cuddlebug, etc., etc. Yeah, moving on to uh, Bracketology. I guess we'll pull that up because now we don't even have to make homework picks for Syracuse because they're not even going to be in it. Yeah, I, I've really I, I loved them to get in, and if they get in, there's not going to be any apologizing. But just looking, it really doesn't seem like there's an obvious path to it, unless the selection committee, for whatever reason, takes the the Beheim absence into huge account. And when that happened, I think I mean I, I was kind of in the mindset of you know depending on how it played out, I, I think it, it's something you you look at, but may, it's not obviously the biggest factor, but. I think with the team losing five of its last six, it kind of uh, takes away from the impact that Bayheim might have had. I don't know if that's fair or not, but it's hard to say, you know, oh, this team totally turned it around when Bayheim came back when they ended up having an even worse stretch to end the year with him. Yeah, I, I, I would think that that's pretty accurate. I think, you know, I, I said it in the article I wrote today, um, you know, after his comments about... Um, you know, Syracuse having suffered enough, and, and I agree to a point, but I think suffer enough, I, I don't think suffer includes making the NCAA tournament when you don't deserve to, um, and, and that's going to be the difference maker. Um, I think the, the tournament committee, if I'm the tournament committee, I, I probably look at this group of teams and I'm not overly thrilled with any of them, but I just don't know if you can go with Syracuse um, over some of them, and, and that, that's assuming that the... the a bubble stays the way it is. Uh, I, I think a lot of people, and, and you know, we said this on, uh, internally on the Slack page, just a lot of people just seem to convince themselves that the bubble was going to stay the way it was and that upsets weren't going to happen um, and the other teams couldn't play their way up or down and just saw Syracuse's place for what it was. And if you looked at the end of the regular season, I agree. Syracuse was safe no matter what happened. But the problem is that no matter what happened, caveat has to be there. Um, and... and you know, you saw you saw four upsets that we didn't need to happen happen um, in conference tournaments around the country. Um, you're going to see more that are probably going to hurt us, and, and we'll see what happens from here. Uh, but, Dan, speaking from my own experience, um, this isn't going to go well for, for Syracuse, not because of anti-Syracuse bias or anything like that, but just for, for the sake of there's just there isn't the quality of wins there to, to help them out here. Um, I mean, they, I, I wouldn't say that. i say they have the quality of wins, but the problem is they don't have much else. Um, the computer numbers aren't overly strong. Um, I know that the strength of schedule is, is good, not great. The RPI is barely good. It's around 60s. It's probably going to be a little bit worse tomorrow. Um, there's, there's little helping Syracuse besides a couple marquee wins, and that might be the only thing if they do get in that gets them in over a team maybe like Monmouth or... Or uh, maybe not Wichita State, but like St. Mary's, perhaps. Yeah, it, it's it's you're hanging your hat basically on a handful of wins over you know teams that went out and played consistent basketball, um, which is rough. And if it was like one or two teams, like if it was just Syracuse and then Monmouth or like St. Bonaventures, if they were to lose uh, their tournament, you know Syracuse has a head-to-head win over one, and Monmouth has some nice wins, but then they play in a lot weaker conference. So I could say. You know, Syracuse obviously was in the ACC and had to deal with this Bayheim thing. You know, they're inconsistent, but they can beat top teams where Monmouth, you know, they beat USC and UCLA, which is fine. But, like, when you're, when you're up against what seems like a group of 10 or so teams that are all kind of bunched together, including, you know, teams you've beat and lost to and, and 
this this whole cluster, it makes it really hard for 19 and 13 Syracuse, which uh, looks like a total mess on the court down the stretch. Whether or not they can, they still count like that final 10 games or whatever they used to. Um, it's a really hard sell. It just there just seems like too many uh, people ahead to jump. Like, it just seems like the odds are stacked against you based on the different criteria of the selection committee members and whatnot. It, it, the odds aren't that are are that a bunch of people don't have the same exact idea of what Syracuse is versus, you know, it's one or two of these other schools getting in these points ahead with RPI and whatnot. No, absolutely. And, and you know, you, you look at, you look at some of these marquee wins too, like a team like Connecticut, which has almost played its way out unless they do something, um, you know, better in the American athletic conference tournament. I think there's a lot of other bubble teams kind of hanging around that, that still have a chance. I mean, I would consider at this point, because of how weak the bubble is, anybody nine or lower. Um, so that means even schools like VCU still have plenty to play in front of them that, that only serves to help their case. I think a team like Cincinnati is the same way. USC, Vandy, Colorado. Like, there, there's there's a lot of teams that I wouldn't necessarily say are better than Syracuse at all. <laughs> and, and yet, you know, as long as they just do what they're supposed to do here, which is maybe win a game in the conference tournament, they'll be fine. And that's all Syracuse had to do, and they, and they didn't. So I guess at the end of the day, if anyone's mad at, at the tournament committee for this, I, I don't know how you could be, because just look at the resume. We didn't get to the 20-win mark. We finished 500 in league play. We didn't win a conference tournament game, um, which we haven't done since we got to the ACC, by the way, which kills me. Um, and, and we really haven't... We've put up one marquee victory in the last, like, month and a half two months right and and it's just overall like i i just i can't get worked up if syracuse that's left out which seems again like the likely scenario here if if syracuse had beaten florida state or Pitt, i think they're in uh, and the only people to blame for that not happening is su so if the committee leaves us out that is the thing that i expect and i uh will look forward to enjoy well I guess I, I'll look forward to enjoying a tournament without stress in terms of who wins and loses. Uh, and I look forward to paying a very bare amount of attention to the NIT. Agree there. Um, Hofstra, we look forward to facing you in the first round. <laughs> Bring it on, pride. <laughs> Fun fact, Hofstra was my other safety school along with UConn. Yeah, UConn, I mean, I got in UConn. That was a thing. I visited. It was jury and stores. Same. And like not and well, so I visited Syracuse, and it was like the end of April, and it was my last. It was like the week before I had to choose, and my mom packed like we were going to Siberia, and it ended up being like ninety-five degrees the whole weekend and sunny. Um, but I think I, I don't think that had a real uh, impact on my choice or not. Uh, UConn's just in like the worst part of Connecticut, like. Yeah, like the like the absolute like, like the sixth borough. Stores is all. There's a reason why it's the sixth borough because nobody talks about. It. It's really it's it's bad. Like stores is legitimately in the middle of nowhere. UConn's a good school. Like I have a lot of friends who went to, like a ton of friends who went to UConn. Yeah. I visited there multiple times. I've had good times there. Um, if it wasn't in stores and it was like in somewhat of a, a an interesting town, Bridgeport. Uh, Ugh, well... No, not Bridgeport. Maybe New Haven. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> New Haven is a fun college town. Uh, Bridgeport, maybe not so much. But, uh, yeah, UConn being in stores is kind of a deal-breaker. Agreed, agreed. Um, all right, looking at brackets, now that we uh, we had our requisite UConn talk. Um, looking at Lenardi's bracket from March 9th. 
We start in the Midwest, and I'm seeing Kansas with a... Why does Kansas always get this interesting matchup? I've got Kansas-Duke um, as a pretty clear pick um, for the Sweet 16. And I'm going with Kansas, especially now that we know that Emil Jefferson's out uh, for the season. Uh, looking at the other side, I don't want to do this, but we're, we're, we're creening our way to the Elite Eight. And, and I, am, I am giving Tom Crean and, and, and his gang of, of Hoosier miscreants the, the, the free pass to the Elite Eight here where they will lose the Jayhawks. Yeah, like I was thinking about this today and just about teams that I'm excited to pick. And Indiana's just, I feel like it took so long for people to like actually acknowledge. And I'm part, totally part of this. I'm not you know, throwing anyone under the bus. But Indiana, like, really, from Big Ten, the start of Big Ten play on has been very good. And they haven't really let up. Like, they've had some weird games here and there, but who hasn't? Um, and. Heading into the season, I think we talked about it a couple times. Like they're one of the most talented teams in college basketball. Um, they just, you know, they have the Tom Cream factor, so uh, they could totally lose at any point in this tournament. But on paper, um, it's tough to pick against them. Uh, I agree on Kansas. Uh, I agree on Kansas over Duke, like you said. Uh, I just don't think Duke has the depth this year. It's it's tough. Like they they have six guys. Um, They've had, like, injury stares beyond Emile Jefferson, which would just totally derail them. That said, um, Arkansas Little Rock is a pretty prime upset pick for, for against Iowa, who's been an absolute free fall for the last couple weeks. Yeah, and Stephen F. Austin's been – I don't know how they are this year specifically, but they've been a really salty team for a while. So, like, nothing would shock me with Duke. Like, they could beat Kansas because Grayson Allen's really good when he's not being the worst on the court. <laughs> um, I'm going to take Indiana, too. I'm tempted to take Texas, but I think Indiana is just, like, playing really good ball. They're super talented. I'll take Kansas over Indiana just because I trust them more. Um, but uh, now I'm, like, I'm going to have a real uh, internal debate over whether to take Indiana to lose, like, immediately or to actually have them make a run because it everything tells me, like, my, my brain says cream, but my heart says, like, I watch that team and they're actually a lot of fun. <laughs> Yeah, like, and I think that's that, you're right. That is everybody's problem with with Indiana. You look at them and you're like, "Fuck, it's Crean." <laughs> like, I actually think it's the other way around. I, I, I think you my heart Crean says Crean, and, and my brain says they're actually pretty good. I'm not yeah. sure which part of my body says Crean. Whichever part, it's probably wrong. <laughs> Moving to the south, uh, Virginia is the number one seed over here. Um, they don't have Michigan State in this bracket, so rejoice, Who's fans. You uh, you get to avoid that fate potentially. Um, I oddly would like Vandy to upset them, but I won't do that. Um, I, I would comfortably put Virginia in the Elite Eight here, based on what, what he spells out. Um, then on the other side, um, I've got Oklahoma pretty easily. Uh, based on this gaggle of teams, like Utah is the only one that's really kind of feisty, um, and then I've got Oklahoma beating Virginia to get themselves to the Final Four. Yeah, I think this is a week where we're going to have a lot of the same stuff. Virginia, I just don't think any of those teams like you know Purdue's interesting. They can play tough, and Iowa State, you know, is fun, but they play no defense. Uh, UVA, I, they're just due. They're due for a good run with this team. Um, uh, I'm tempted to take Utah just because they've been playing such good basketball over the last couple of weeks, and they really played themselves into prime position down the stretch here. Uh, I'm going to stick with Oklahoma like you. Buddy Heels is too good. 
Um, and I just trust that roster a little more. Uh, Notre Dame could be interesting. I think a Notre Dame-Oklahoma game would be a blast. I'm kind of rooting for that uh, at some point because that'd just be a lot of points. But I, I think the Sooners out of the bottom there. I don't know if Notre Dame, like, well, okay. If it was anybody but St. Joe's, I would say Notre Dame probably loses a 7-10 game. Um, but with, uh, with St. Joe's kind of playing iffy themselves, I'll, I'll take the Irish begrudgingly. But yeah, I think that Oklahoma seems like a pretty good bet here. Um, we'll just kind of have to play wait and see. I mean, Oklahoma obviously hasn't played uh, as like they did for, for a good portion of the season, which I think was one of the top two or three teams in the country. They've kind of fallen off a little bit, but I, I still buy Oklahoma getting to the Final Four uh, based on the strength of the Big 12, uh, which I know seems stupid at times. We do kind of... I feel like we pan that concept, but not nearly as much as we pan other tropes that have existed, like the strength of the Big Ten, which is largely a joke, um, or Iowa's a national title contender, which is obviously a big joke, or Iowa State as a national title contender, which Dan and I have finally rid ourselves of. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like we, uh, I, I feel like we can we can look at Oklahoma's body of work this year uh, as a clear measure of a team that can compete, and if, if if they really, if Utah might be the toughest team they have to get by based on recent play, um, but I think Utah and Virginia are going to be a good test. And if Oklahoma can get by those two teams, they stand a very good chance to win it all in the Final Four. Yeah, Oklahoma just needs to right the ship a little bit because they've been sloppy. But the Big Twelve is such a bear that uh, you know it's understandable. All these Big Twelve teams have suffered a lot of losses, and it's just because that conference, I, I legitimately think, is really good. Uh, Big Ten, I think they're a little better at the top this year, but like you like. The bottom of that conference is as bad as like Atrocious. anything. Yeah, like people people used to make fun of like the Big East, the bottom of the Big East for being this so bad. Worse. This is way worse. Like Rutgers, Minnesota um, are two of the worst teams. Like two of the worst power conference teams I've ever seen. Like those two in BC could have some like amazing round robin. Um, With but Wake. just awfulness. Got to include Wake in there. Yeah, Wake sneaky awful <laughs> by year's end this year. Um, and then even like Illinois is just a bad team. Uh, a lot of this is just bad. So, yeah, bid 12 good, bid 10, like, some parts good, but the bottom is, like... Mostly good. <laughs> yeah, and, and they were always so critical about the Big East, the bottom of the Big East being a tire fire, which, in a lot of ways, it was, but... So they took one of those tires and put it on the tire. <laughs> <laughs> They literally just took a flat tire off of, a, like, a car that, like, was lit on fire on the side of the highway after an accident. It's like, yep, we're going to drive on this. Yeah, well, <laughs> these spare parts will work. <laughs> Who's no one's using this tire. <laughs> oh, Rutgers. Uh, moving down to the east, um, Villanova and Wichita State or Cincinnati really seems like yep. a really fun. Like <laughs> either was... of those teams are going to beat Villanova. Yeah, I mean Wichita State is just like the classic. You know, they have all this tournament experience and the the two seniors that have been there for a million years and have made all these runs. Like that, and then Cincinnati is just Cincinnati, where like at any given point, like they'll either play the worst team of all time or they'll shove you in a locker. Uh, and that feels like that could happen here. Honestly, I see, like, is it bad? Is it bad that, that the only team in this bracket I don't think can beat Villanova is Hampton? <laughs> uh, I mean, every one I, of these teams like stands a good chance to beat them. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know too much about Asheville, but they, you know, I, I remember the Asheville game with us, which wasn't fun. And, I, and again, I don't think Asheville's going to make it to the Elite Eight. Um, 
Florida even Gulf like, Coast. Look, you would even look at their half. Even look at their half. And there is not one team on that list other than Hampton that I go, hmm. Like, yeah, Villanova is going to beat that team. I think definitively, if I was filling out a bracket, I, I'd pick them over either of the 16s. This Gulf Coast, like, this isn't Dunk City. I don't. I watched that Gulf Coast uh, tournament game. I don't think they dunked once. Um, they're <laughs> still you advertising. Know, yeah, they they lost Dunk City. Uh, I think I'd pick Nova to beat the Sitzteens. I think I'd probably take them over South Dakota State, but I would think about it, and I'd take them over Chattanooga, and I'd take the rest of the that whole top half to beat them. I think. I think I also I, I hate this half because I really like all of those games, like a lot. Like, Wichita-Cincinnati just seems like a fun 8-9. Um, Cal-South Dakota State, I think Cal's feisty. South Dakota is equally feisty. Um, A&M, if they can get themselves up to a three-line, I think they'd help themselves a lot. Um, otherwise, they're going to be stuck in a, in a really shitty game against a good 13 seed, because there are a lot of them. Um, and I think Chattanooga might be the best of them, which, again, problematic for them. Um, I still think Cal and A&M get through. I think Cal beats a i think cal beats a&m and then i got cal beating i'm gonna say beats villanova um i don't i wouldn't have much confidence picking villanova against wichita state or cincinnati but that said um i'll give villanova the benefit of the doubt that they can actually get past an eight seed or a nine seed this year uh, but i don't have them beating cal so i got cal in the elite eight and they will be facing drum roll michigan state um i think texas tech is feisty i think if I think Monmouth or the Bonnies could really challenge them, but I think Texas Tech could challenge Michigan State as well, but I think Michigan State still gets through. Um, I think Miami gets through by default in that, uh, that other kind of sub-region just because Arizona's been flailing, Temple's hasn't been consistent, UNC Wilmington. Um, I just don't think they're... They're going to be a trendy upset pick, but I, I think Miami's too talented to lose a game like that. Um, so yeah, I've got Michigan State over Miami. Um, and then I've got Michigan State over Cal in the, uh, in the Elite Eight. Yeah, uh, I had the same thing. <laughs> I was actually mapping this out first, too. Uh, the Cal A&M game, I, I like both those teams a lot. I, I picked A&M in the last couple weeks to go. Um, Cal just, like, they're coming out at the right time. They're super talented. They're young. We've seen uh, teams like this kind of surge in the tournament before. Uh, but Michigan State's too much. Uh, Izzo is just a master, and Denzel Valentine is having – um, one of the great college basketball seasons, I think. He's averaging over 19 points. He's averaging 7.5 assists and rebounds. Like, wow. I don't know why Michigan State keeps on finding these players that do everything like that, but it's it's really unbelievable. Um, I kind of, I'm kind of with you on the rest of this, too. Uh, Villanova, Wichita State-Cincinnati is fun uh, to pick against Villanova. Um, it's crazy that Nova, Nova has not made it out of the round of 32 since they went to the Final Four in uh, <laughs> 09. And they've had two two seeds and a one seed since then. So, like, uh, part of me feels like this should be, you know, eventually Nova has to make it to this 316 yeah, and at least get that far. Yeah, you, but, you get one round. Yeah. But, I like, I still just something about them just makes them so untrustworthy. So, I don't really know if I'd pick them over Wichita Cincinnati or not. It's tough. I'd be very tempted to take uh, the Shockers, I think. Could you imagine, like, I mean, it would be kind of perfect if Villanova was the first one seed to lose to a 16. And if it was Florida Gulf Coast, it would, I mean, and to be honest, Hampton and Florida Gulf Coast are both two of the, the tournament's historic best giant killers. Um, I, I would love to see, if a one seed was going to go down, it would be so appropriate to be Villanova. Oh, if, if Gulf Coast beat Villanova, like, I wouldn't take the same just 
like total joy out of it as I took them beating Georgetown, which like what is one of my favorite tournament games ever. Agreed. Um, <laughs> like I watched that with a bunch of Syracuse friends, and we watched the Syracuse team as well that day, and we enjoyed the Dolphins team so much more. Um, but it, it would still be hilarious. Uh, so. I'm fine with that. If Villanova has, to, and I really, I don't hate Villanova at all. They're just really funny because of their, their tournament <laughs> stuff. Um, so, and and you know, there's still a little bit of the Big East isn't actually all that good. They have like one good team, and that one good team always loses in the first weekend of the tournament. So, yeah, I'm sorry, Villanova, to pick on you, and we really don't. We we can't say much. We're not going to be in the tournament, but no. um, yeah, th- this is your fate. You are <laughs> destined <it>. to. <laughs> Win 28 games a year in the regular season and win the Big East and then go uh, lose to someone hilarious in the first weekend. I'm fine with that. Um, also of note in here is something I will point out is that uh, Michigan State, while they're a two seed right now, um, I think if Michigan State can find their way to a win in the Big Ten tournament and perhaps if Villanova doesn't get uh, things done at Madison Square Garden or North Carolina falters, um, you, or Virginia too, to be honest, I could see Michigan State playing its way up to a one line. Um, I think that that's well within play right now. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I actually, I think I wrote something about that the other week. Like, I think, I think Michigan State's just playing such good basketball right now. And obviously, they lost the Big Ten regular season because of the them faltering when Valentine was hurt and a little after that. But they're playing the best basketball in that conference right now. And if they win the the, the tournament, I think it'd be very hard to keep them off the one line. Agreed. And last in the West. Um... North Carolina's bracket, uh, Carolina gets a pretty easy pass uh, through the first two rounds. Um, Yale is going to be a really, really intriguing upset pick for a lot of people on 12-5. Uh, Maryland, if that were to hold. Uh, Maryland just played atrociously in the last couple weeks. and They're very talented, to be honest, and it's just that they just the Terps can't be consistent enough for me to believe. Uh, Kentucky... Gets a feisty Stony Brook, but um, not one that could beat them. I a North Carolina Kentucky game is going to happen in the Sweet 16, and everyone's going to hate it. Um, I've got North Carolina winning that one though because Kentucky just there's just something missing this year, and that's fine. Everyone has their their down years, and if your down year is a four seed or you get to the Sweet 16, I think you'll take that. Um, on the other half, I've got. I'd be tempted to pick Wisconsin to get through here just because Wisconsin's played better than almost anybody in the country over the last probably eight weeks. But saying that, I'm going to go with West Virginia. Um, I, I think West Virginia and Wisconsin are the two best teams down here. I, I notably never buy Oregon in any sport. Um, I've got Oregon getting themselves to Sweet 16, losing to West Virginia. Um, they got North Carolina beating West Virginia um, in, in the regional final. Uh, yeah, so I'll actually differ from you here, finally. Um, <laughs> I have Kentucky, North Carolina, like you do. I'm going to have the Cats going. I just feel like Kentucky's doing that thing where they come on right at the right time. Um, they have the best backcourt in the country, in my opinion. Um, and then the scariest thing about Kentucky is this, in the last two games, Stalabissier, like, rediscovered how to play basketball. Uh, against LSU in their season finale, he had 18, 9, and 6 blocks, and he was better than Ben Simmons. Um, so if he – I mean, that could also just be like a two-game spurt that he's had. But, I mean, if he's having if he's having any kind of impact similar to that, it's going to be very hard to beat Kentucky with uh, Murray and Eulis and Labissier being impactful. 
Um, so I'll take them over North Carolina to go to the Elite Eight. Uh, Maryland, like you said, is just playing such bad basketball over the last month. Um, they've that Minnesota team that we talked about being really awful. Uh, Maryland lost to them like two years, two weeks ago. Uh, Way to so go, that, Terps. So that was a thing that happened. Um, I'm going to go with Wisconsin over Oregon in the bottom uh, after beating West Virginia. I actually would even think about taking Iona over West Virginia as of just because, you know, I feel like that's probably the most likely 14 over three here. Um, West Virginia is good, but I feel like they're a team whose style could get hampered in uh, tournament play. And Wisconsin, I think, just has experience. They're, they've rallied around red guard. Um, and they have some, you know, some nice players coming along at the right time. Uh, so I'm going to take Wisconsin, Kentucky in a rematch of last year's final four game. Uh, and I'll take, uh, Kentucky to go to the final four. All right. So looking at another blue blood final four, save one, um, largely we're kind of in agreement here, Kansas, Oklahoma, Michigan state, and then either North Carolina or Kentucky. Yeah, it's been. I think we've kind of uh, kind of come to these conclusions over the last couple of weeks. They've been pretty similar, depending on who gets lined up where. Yeah, I feel like one week we're we're aligned, the next week we're not, and then. Yep, but I think the four teams I've we've had like kind of we're kind of reaching where we're going to get. Agreed. Yeah, I, I think that I think Kentucky is a pretty. I think Kentucky is easily one of the the top five to seven picks nationally to win it all. Um, yeah, I'm sure in Vegas and definitely when the brackets are all kind of settled on Sunday, I think you'll, you'll see very quickly that the cats become, uh, you know, one of, one of the, uh, the trendy four. Yeah. yeah. Here's a non one or two seed that, that surprises everybody and wins it all. Like, yeah, that definitely sounds like Kentucky to me. Um, Dan, if there was one surprise team on this bracket and you can go anybody, anybody lower than a three seed that you think can win it all other than Kentucky, who might that team be? Lower than a three seed, other than Kentucky. Let me see. Hmm. That's tough. I, I feel like there's really we've kind of had this uh, strange uh, tier emerge in the last couple of weeks here um, of like the haves and like I, I feel like there's like ten teams that have kind of distanced themselves from the rest. Mm. Uh, and they're all really in the top three lines. Um, Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'll find one for you. Uh, I might have to on, go with A and M. I like A and M. Um, they don't feel like a national champion to me. No, they don't have like that guy, and that guy thing. I feel, and this is also going to be unpo- This will be as unpopular as my Kentucky take. <laughs> um, Duke has two of the best players in the country, and that counts for a lot. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right there. And I think, what was that? Again, I know we talked about this like a couple weeks ago. There was that stat of like Syracuse in 2003 was like the only national title title winner in the last like 20 years without a uh, an NBA guard on the roster. And, and I think that, that, that there is something to it. It's not a cause and effect. It's more of just a good players equal good teams equals winning national championship. Like, yes, there's some luck involved, but... Um, Looking down this list, A and M's a, a candidate, but maybe not the candidate. Um, I think another... you can go A and M. I think Cal's really talented. They could Cal. do, but I, I, they don't. I don't buy them as a, a. I think they're like a year or two away if some of these guys stay around. What about Texas. 
Texas is interesting because Shaka's style really disrupts people. Um, and he knows. I mean, he knows how to coach in the tournament. That too. A, I thought about that very well. Um, yeah, I mean, if 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 Crean, if we're looking at peak Crean, there's a. Uh, there's the chance that they lose to Texas in, in round two. There's also the chance that, that Crean loses to an experienced, upset-minded UAB team that upset Iowa State last year. Yeah. And then the other team, if in terms of just pure talent, I mean, I would say Maryland, but they've just looked so bad. But if they right. turn it around, I mean, they have like one or two seed talent, I think. Well, yeah, and, and that, you know, that speaks to another thing here. And that was just kind of what I was alluding to at Michigan State is that like – there's a lot of teams here that are like I'd say that there's still 16 to 20 teams that are talented enough to be on the first two lines, but because of inconsistency um, or injuries or whatever it may be, they're they're not there. Um, so, but it, you know, if somebody gets hot, I mean, Maryland has the the, the elements that you need, um, you know, for a potential tournament run. Um, and I, I I I'm hesitant to pick the Terps because of their like just abject awfulness over the last couple of weeks, but but you know never say never if they just finally figure like if they can get themselves to the Big Ten final, uh, y- you can pencil in the Terps in my Final Four. Yeah, it's just a matter of them kind of catching catching some heat because they've just been. I looked up today; they were basically since February fourteenth, they've lost four of six, and they've lost like I said to Minnesota. Um, some other like some of the losses aren't too bad, just as a one off, but. When you're playing that poorly, it's really hard to uh, really buy back in. Um, but if you just, you know, put that aside, they have one of the best guards in college basketball, Mellow Trimble. They have Diamond Stone, who's a really – he's a problem as a center. Like, he, when he's good, he's really good. He dropped 39 earlier this year at some point. I forget if it's two. Um, they have a number of, like, really nice complimentary players. So I don't know really what the problem is with – I don't know what the reason why they have been playing so poorly is, but – uh, they definitely have the pieces. So, um, but like we said earlier, like they just have played so poorly that it's hard to envision it. But if if they do make a run in the Big Ten tournament, and they they seem like they've righted the ship, then I expect them to be a pretty uh, attractive pick as a four-ish seed. Yeah, and that's uh, that's how we'll end our podcast talking about Maryland basketball. Because if there's one thing you can count on here, it's that we'll not talk about Syracuse for thirty minutes at a time. <laughs> Especially not today. Today was not that day. Nope, not not today. Uh, Dan, as always, thanks for uh, thanks for making some time today. Anytime. We're we're, we're coming for you, Hofstra. <laughs> Hofstra, you you know it's going to happen, and because of the women's tournament, we'll probably end up playing down Long Island. So, so for all the uh, for all the Syracuse fans in New York City and on the island, you'll actually be able to go to the game probably. Hey, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Yeah, you definitely shouldn't. Uh, I would be, I would be much more interested in driving up to the dome for the women's team. That said, I've been to game uh, basketball games at Hofstra, and they have a similar setup that um, not a couple other teams have this, but it's one of the like pit type of setups where it's like a step down into the stadium. Oh, that's strange. Yeah, like a couple teams have that, but like it's an interesting setup. It actually gets pretty loud there, but yeah, I'm I'm not going to claim it's the dome or anything like that. Uh, on, on that note, after illustriously describing where Hofstra plays basketball, um, that was Dan. I'm John. You've been listening to Troy Noons, an absolute podcast. Uh, you can rate, review, subscribe on Blog Talk, on iTunes, and uh, hopefully by some miracle Syracuse makes the tournament. But if not, we will be here next week. Don't worry. Go women's basketball.
Go women's basketball. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.